Welcome to Mind and Movement Conversations. I'm Hazel and thanks for joining me. Today I was exceptionally lucky to chat with Carla Hannaford, PhD. Carla is so beautiful and kind and it was my absolute pleasure to talk to her. Carla is a biologist, author and educator with more than 40 years teaching experience. I read her book, Smart Moves, Why Learning is Not All in Your Head, recently, and I loved it. Listen to Carla and I having a wide-ranging chat about stressed-out, survival-orientated humans and how sleep, movement, and less time on screens can help us to feel significantly better, especially if you're in pain. Please enjoy. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're welcome. And what if what have you? Day. It's been a busy day. It has been a very busy day. Yeah. What are you? <laughs> what right. are you? What are you doing at the moment? Well, a lot of things. I had a board meeting with the Dances of Universal Peace. That's I'm on the board for that. Yeah. And then talk to um, the the person that's going to be doing um, cutting on my land. Um, you know, forestry kind oh, of wow. things. To, so that we don't get fire. And then I've been out pruning all the flowers, wow. getting ready for spring. Yeah. And you're getting ready for winter now, we right? Yeah. Yeah. We are getting ready for winter. It's, we've just had a, a lovely kind of late burst of warmth, which I'm not sure is a good thing or a bad thing, but it's been <laughs> lovely. And now it's just got really cold over the last couple of days, but nothing, I assume, as it gets as cold as it does in Montana. That's where you are, it's right? Really- yeah, yeah. You still have snow in places and all over the mountains. There's a lot of snow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I read your book. I've read your book twice now and I reread it the, the, <laughs> the other day and I, I wrote that note and it's just been so helpful for so many of my clients. So what I do is I'm working mostly with um, adults who are in pain and have been in pain for a really long time. And it's just been fascinating to me how applying some of your ideas to them has really helped them get out of pain. And this whole idea that, you know, I think you mentioned somewhere that, you know, healing and learning are just pretty much exactly the same thing. And I'm really interested to know, because it's been a long time since you wrote that book. You wrote that book in first in, was it 1995? Smart Moves first came out? Yeah, 95. And then, and then in 2005, we updated it. Yeah. So since then, um, have you, you've written a few other books. Um, just one, just Playing one. in the Unified Field. Yeah, I need to read that. Um, yeah. So the whole idea of um, education has been coming up a lot recently. And I've been reading, um, you know, Yuval Noah Harari. Have you read any of his books, Sapiens, Homo Deus? Have you heard of him? No, I've no. heard of him, but I have yeah. not. He's an, he's an incredible guy writing really interesting books. And one of the things that um, I noticed, he, uh, he has this book called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. And in mm-hmm. it, he talks about education and how he thinks we need to decrease the focus on technical skills and kind of increase the general purpose life skills. Like, And he talks about the four C's of critical thinking, communication, collaboration and creativity and I was just like perfect yeah, yeah. perfect and um, so in the email that we briefly had you also mentioned um, about just how much phones and screens and like the 
the big theme I'd kind of like to chat to you about is just how stressed potentially a lot of people's nervous systems are, children and adults, and potentially mm-hmm. what we can do moving forward to really help people, you know, calm their systems. And I love your term, um, stressed out, survival orientated humans, because I believe it just gives us so much more empathy when we're, you know, dealing with a child who is, um, you know, not acting the way we want them to. Um, yeah. So do you have anything you'd like to say to that? <laughs> I think it's a worldwide problem right now. Our technology, there are more cell phones on the planet than people. And um, wow. I think the data that we're getting right now is pretty scary. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Carr has written two books, The Shallows and um, Utopia is Creepy. Um, I was just at a big conference in Slovenia, uh, and Manfred Spitzer talked a lot about, you know, a lot of the current research that we're getting with regard to our technology. I, I love our technology, but it's not balanced. And, um, you know, a couple of things. One is the blue screen, of course, mm-hmm. and that inhibits the uh, rise of melatonin. Mm-hmm. So when people are on their computers or cell phones, before they go to bed, they can't sleep because the melatonin won't rise. Yeah. And um, the other thing is there's still a flicker in computer screens um, that causes us to feel like something's coming out of the forest at us that we're oh, in danger. Right. So, and any of the screens actually cause the rise of adrenaline and cortisol in the body, and then we're right in fight or flight. We're in survival. Mm-hmm. And um, it's one of the reasons why there's such an addiction. Yeah. And that's one. The other is there's an area of the brain uh the albicans area, the prefrontal cortex that's connected in with the uh, production of dopamine. Right. It, it, it's not where dopamine is produced. Dopamine is produced in the substantia nigra. But um, what it does is raise the dopamine level. And it's just like any addiction. It, you know, it's like, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. And... Um, it's phenomenal to me as somebody who considers myself quite resourceful and quite able to get myself to do what I want to do when I want to do it, you know, that sometimes I'm just like, where's my phone? I want to look at my phone and I have no idea because I don't have anything on my phone to look at. You know, I don't have Facebook. I uh-huh. don't have Instagram. I don't have any of those things. So I'm like, what is this? What is this burning desire in me to look at my phone? And that, mm-hmm. yeah, there is definitely an element of addiction there, like, yeah. I, I recognize it in my in myself, um, so that is, yeah, it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing how we are living in these environments now. That's one of my biggest interests. Actually, is I do a lot of um, presenting in corporate health, and I like to say at the start, you know, like, you know, th- I draw a cell on the board, and I'm like, this is a healthy cell. And then I'm like, there are kind of four main areas or inputs that we need. And of course, we could break that down into many inputs. But very simply, I'm like, and everybody, you know, spits out what they are, of course. They're, we need, you know, optimal food. We need optimal sleep. We need optimal movement, of course. And we need optimal love and connection. 
And then I'm like, when mm. we get that, the cell gets what it needs to yeah. to do the things that it needs to do. And then I'm, I I draw a line on the board and I'm like, so what did we do before? And I use the word before because I'm like, people might go millions of years ago or people might kind of talk about what their grandparents did. And then I'm like, what do we do now? And we run through <coughs> food and, you know, people go, oh, we used to eat wild food and, you know, wild animals. And now we eat processed stuff. Sleep. Well... We used to sleep way more. And I'm like, yeah, before the light bulb, we slept about 10 hours. And then in 1942, it was 7.9 hours. And now it's like 6.5 hours. So, and, you know, we just go through. And I'm like, this is really exciting for me because it shows us exactly what we're doing wrong, you know, in terms of, you know, then we go to movement. We used to sit in a chair. Now we are, um, we used to not sit in a chair. We used to be moving constantly. Now we're sitting in a chair. And then we used to live in tribes and communities, and now we're living in this more individualistic kind of nuclear family model of the world. And so everybody's kind of like, oh, it's so obvious. So why is it so yeah. hard for us to then um, become healthier? And I'm like, because it's really, if we want optimal bio biological function, we have to be those wild humans. <laughs> and we right. are... And we are no longer those wild humans. But what excites me is there's there's many, many things that we can do within in our current, you know, society yeah. to um mm -hmm. bring better health to people. And yeah, I'm really fascinated by the phones and the sleep, especially for children. I've read a amazing book recently called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And some of the statistics in that blew my mind around you know they changed the school start times at um in minnesota so that kids could get more sleep and they had an and so they go into delta sleep which is really yeah. important yeah loading information and so they could um you know the the sat scores that doesn't mean a lot to me because we used a different system but it increased by 200 points just by them getting yeah. extra sleep nothing else changed and the um amount of car crashes for 16 to 18 year olds in that area decreased by 70 percent which is just phenomenal so um mm -hmm. it's cool that there are people out there you know realizing that kids need more sleep and shifting um the school start times to a later time so they can actually get that sleep <coughs> and when you talk about delta sleep is that like um is that REM sleep is that the same REM sleep is delta sleep the same as REM sleep no. Okay. No. That's theta sleep. Delta sleep is the the slowest. And what we're finding is the research is showing that when we're in delta sleep, which is the slowest, we start all of this light goes from the hippocampus to the rest of the brain. And we're downloading our short-term memory into long-term oh, memory. Right. And um those naps, those cat naps where we go out really deep. Uh, in sleep, you know, for maybe 20 minutes, actually allow us to download information. Um, kindergarten children used to have naps all the, you know, yeah. during the day, mm -hmm. the school day, which was really important. In China, when I first went to China in 1990, all the schools in mainland China would have naps, half an hour naps in the afternoon. Wow. All the students, the, the teachers, everybody and the universities, and um, now we're seeing that that's really important, and that puts us into that delta sleep. Also, teenagers, this is what you're seeing where they're changing the, the times in schools, mm -hmm. teenagers 
because of their circadian rhythms, tend to go into delta sleep at about 8 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. So that's why it, it, they need to take that, that time. Um, we go into a, a delta sleep usually around 2, 2 yeah. a.m. Yeah. Um, and then there's a kind of a waking state about 3, 3.30. Mm-hmm. But it's an interesting... Um, you know, correlation, we need that sleep. But, and sleep is really important. What I see, Hazel, though, and it may be one of the main causes why people are so addicted to their phones, is there's a lot of abandonment. There's a lot of disconnect. Just what you were saying, we're, you know, this individualistic society now, and parents are out there working hard to buy their stuff you know, buy st- stuff mm-hmm. for their kids, presents for their kids, and they're not present. Mm. They're not available. No. And so all of us, I think, is so important, our connection with each other. Yeah. And facial expressions, body language. Big study uh, coming out of Germany, well, and written up in a book called, um, no, now I'm going to forget his name. Um, I always talk about him. It's dumbing down America, but it, it's oh, wow. not—it's not the name of it. But um, they did this study, and they found that these teenagers could not read body language or facial expression, right? Which is the main way we get information, not the words. No, you yeah. know, and it's because they're texting to each other; they're not even looking at each other, right? And we have to do that in order to to really communicate. And to and, get skilled um, at realizing and recognizing what people are conveying in terms of their emotion as well. If we don't have a lot of practice in that, yeah. we don't get skilled in it. Wow. Right. Yeah. So here are all of our children with parents not available to be absolutely present. Mm-hmm. Women were multitasking like crazy. Mm-hmm. Men actually do a lot better at being present with children than, than women yeah. do, which is the interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we just need to be present with each other, yeah. not just children, but adults. Yeah, and, uh, I totally agree. Um, have you read any of Barbara Fredrickson's stuff? She wrote a book called Love 2.0, which is all about looking I, for, it's a brilliant book, it's all about looking for moments of uh, micro-connection or positivity resonance with people around you in your environment. So just not being on your phone and smiling or saying hello to the people walking down the street um which is just what we all used to do but now everybody is you know i I talk in these presentations i do you know when was the last time you were in a cafe and sitting by yourself and what you what were you doing you know and they were like i was on i was on my phone and everybody else in the environment was on their phone so there's just on their phone there's not yeah there totally isn't this um moment they are we don't leave space for these moments of connection which i think um we, we could all benefit if we were all a bit more proactive in, in that. Um, the other, one of the things that really blew my mind in your book was all about the ocular lock. So when we are, because of course that will come to screens as well. Like So when we're looking at our screens, we're having this disassociation between the sounds we're hearing and the pictures we're seeing. And that puts us in a state of stress. Right. So when well, we 
we are stressed. We have to be on alert. Yeah. This flicker effect of the television and the screens, you know, on, on the computers, mm-hmm. um, give us that sense again, like I said, of animals coming out of the forest at us. Right. And so we have to be on alert. We can't turn our back. No. But we cannot take the information in from a screen, which is interesting. It's radiant light. Yeah. And we've known this for a long time. Whenever you're dealing with radiant light, like a screen or um, looking at the rainbow or whatever, you cannot take information well from that. Uh, right. You only get about 4% of the information. What you do get information from is when the light comes in and is bounced off of an object. Right. Then, you, like a, if you go to a movie theater, mm-hmm. you're getting light bounced off of a screen. Right. It's Got a you. bouncing off of the screen, and it's not a radiant light. It's not coming from the screen. Right. And so then we can get not over 90% of the information. But we don't get the information, but we don't we can't go anywhere so we've got all of this adrenaline and cortisol going through our bodies and what do we do we go we have to be on alert and then we just stare yeah ocular light, yeah. just because we're on alert we're not taking anything in as long as the eyes are moving we'll take information in but the minute they stop we right. don't take information in wow so that's kind of like that what was it called the general adaptive syndrome of people being so stressed that they don't even realize they're stressed yeah i i had a moment of like i used to live in melbourne which is a big city in australia and i came back to new zealand for a family holiday and we went and we spent a lot of time in nature then i went back to melbourne and i was blown away Uh, this is after about a month back in new zealand of how intense that place like it made me feel like stressed out as soon as I got back there and then yeah. I was like this isn't good and so what was fu- fascinating for me to just have a moment of I had no idea how stressed out I was until I removed myself from it and then came back into that situation and that mm-hmm. um what I see so much which is the you know that when I'm dealing with clients and chronic pain in their lower back and you know their neck and everything is just that, you know, that startle reflex is, or is it the tendon guard reflex, which is locked in their system? It's just written in there. And as a movement Mm -hmm. professional, I've been taught that that comes about because of, you know, the way we sit, we sit too much. And then, you know, which is of course true, it shortens our calves. We wear shoes all the time, which shortens our, you know, calves and our Achilles tendons and everything. And then to just kind of go, oh my God, when we're stressed, Mm -hmm. our body or also puts ourselves in that position so that we can, you know, have that weight of our body on the ball of our foot so we can get out of there at any moment if we feel like we need to. And so it's just so written into most people's bodies, this that startle reflex. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, which yeah. I spend my days trying to get people out of the startle reflex, but then I'm sending them back out, out there into the world to... To look at screens that basically on a really, it's it's not subconsciously, of course, it's it's a con, our, our system is consciously in a stress mode. Um, yeah, that's just fascinating. Yeah, the locked knees, the back tightening up, the, the uh, 
trapezius muscle all locked up, everything. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, you don't even notice it. You get a habit of it and you don't even notice it. And yet, and and with children, you see that tendon guard reflex. You see the toe walking right. very early, you yeah. know, where it's exaggerated tendon guard reflex. Yeah. A lot of stress, just a lot of stress. Yeah. So yeah. what's your secret to getting unstressed in the modern world? <laughs> <laughs> well, for one thing, nature helps a lot. And Doesn't it? You know, we've talked about nature deprivation disorder mm-hmm. with kids today and adults and adults. But um, the main thing is movement. Yeah. So that's what I do. You know, I, uh, when I start to feel stressed, I move. Right. I, that, I have to do that. I have to mm-hmm. take a walk. I do brain gym. I do Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. I do yoga. I do whatever I need to at that moment to move, to just move through that. Yeah. Um, I had a, some real bad back problems. We were in an accident years and years ago, and it started exacerbating, and I ended up with a class three spondylolisthesis. Wow. Ouch. Or, you know, so L4 was here and L5 was totally misaligned with yeah. it. And um, I just kind of dealt with it. I was all crooked and I didn't even think about it. And I'm traveling around the world carrying heavy suitcases and stuff. And thank goodness I was doing the brain gym work. I, I was teaching that, so I was moving with it. Uh, otherwise, it would I would have been totally crippled. Right. But I went, finally had to have surgery. Yeah. And um, so I have this fusion that occurs. I can do anything, you know, but I realize that in order for me not to get that back problem again, because the back problem is all about here, the back is is getting shortened, you know, the whole tendon guard reflex, and we're getting discs moving out right and left. And, and, um, it's really important for me to walk. It's really important for me to do the cross crawl, mm-hmm. to do the hookups from from the brain yeah. gym work. Simple, yeah. simple. It doesn't take much no. to stop the whole reaction. And you know, a, a minute, two, even two minutes. Yeah. One, but it's you know, the one thing that I am interested in is how we are potentially also interfering with the children's development of their movement patterns so that, you know, the cross crawl and all of those things. Because we spend so much time with them in devices. We put them in car seats. We put them in strollers. We don't let them walk. We put them in bouncy things so that they can, you know, sit up when they can't support themselves. And those Mm -hmm. things are really, I know um, my teacher, one of my teachers, Tom Myers, talks about the fact that a lot of um, hunter-gatherer people who still live today, they go through, their children go through the developmental movement patterns two to three months before Western children do because they're just never interfered with. They're, um, they're, yeah, they're, they're given chances to move. They're picked up off the ground and then they're carried and so they have to y- learn to stabilize their neck, which is, you know, going to start them to develop yeah. that um, yeah. the curve here. And then, I mean, I've, I've got a... Um, a friend and mentor, the um, amazing biomechanist Katie Bowman, I know that she didn't put her children in any of these devices and she let them um, develop and, 
you know, it's it's incredible to see the way her children move versus the way other other children, you know, move, just because they mm-hmm. haven't been restricted in their um, development, and of course that will add to the the stress of, mm-hmm. uh, for a child not having had the skills and the the opportunity for their brain to wire in a certain way. But one of the things that really interests me is that I know most parents aren't thinking about that. They're like, I'm putting my child in a stroller because it's just what we do. I'm putting my It's easy. It's, it's easy. easy. Yeah, it's easy. And I'm I'm putting my child in these really um stiff shoes because it's just what we do. And I mean like if if you watch a child try to walk in stiff shoes and you have any understanding of what movement is about as soon as they put it on you can see what changes in their body and how their movement Mm -hmm. patterns are instantly changed you're missing all of those reflexes those early reflexes too because they're not their bellies you know and they're not on the belly of the parents and they're missing so much and there's a great book out right now it's called baby bear so baby b-a-r-e stephanie johnson's book is phenomenal and uh, it's one of the best books I've come across on, you know, parenting and up through age three or four. And right now, let me get, uh, there is a statistic I have. Let's see if I find it. Cool. Which just blew my mind. Um, 70% of two-year-olds in Germany uh spend four hours on four or more hours on screen time two-year-olds whoa ah. yeah what was interesting is there's such a um bad addiction in china that right now the chinese government has uh banned s- cell phones in the the schools in all the schools wow great you know and the other thing is you know just with screen time it's the main number one cause of myopia on the globe, and it leads to glaucoma, macular yeah. degeneration, and um, is the lack of movement of our eyes because exactly. we're casting them to that length. Yeah, because we're we're only <coughs> yeah. looking at things, you know, kind of arm's length away from our face, and so, uh, you know, our muscles in our eyes are not getting they're not getting that opportunity to shorten and lengthen, so they can't do it anymore. I think well, that incidence of myopia in China is just going through the roof, isn't it? And everywhere. It is. yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, but uh, also, you know, academically, what's interesting, I had just some interesting things. Academically, um, if you have a cell phone in the room with you, even if it's turned off when you're taking an exam, like standardized testing. Yeah. It decreases the ability to take that. It decreases the scores by at least fifty percent, compared to if the cell phone is in another room turned off, way away. Right. You know, it's a distraction. Yeah. Even though it's not turned on, people are constantly as reactive. They're reacting. They're. Is my phone on? Is my just what you were saying? Yeah. You know, I have to check my phone. Why? Yeah. Why? We have, 
didn't do that before, you know, it is like so uh, it's so new, wasn't it? I read a book um I can't remember the, the name of the author, but it was called One Spirit Medicine and the the author was a doctor, a mes- a western medical doctor, plus he was a shaman. And uh-huh. he equated it, he was like, the amount of information that we get in a week now is probably the same as what a hunter-gatherer type person got in their entire life. So yeah. our brain is just so overwhelmed with all this information processing that we have to do. Plus, we're not giving our brain any time to process it because we're looking at screens and putting ourselves into this stressful environment. So we actually can't do it then we're not sleeping enough so our brain can't take that short-term memory and put it into long-term memory so you can really start to see how you know our system our body is this beautiful array of um you know it's one system it's not many systems but all of those things that are um, required for it to be healthy and we have no idea of you know i don't think we really understand the you know like if a child is having trouble hearing. Nobody's going to think, Let, why don't we take take off the child's shoes? <laughs> because potentially the lack of balance has led to, you know, a delay in the vestibular apparatus. And so, uh, so this kid's got a lack of hearing. So what can we do? Nobody thinks let's take off the shoes, right, and get the foot working and encourage the balance and encourage the, um, you know, the vestibular system to, system. to yeah. be able to fully develop and that just reminds me of another beautiful book i read it's called the secret uh suddenly the secret language of the forest or no the secret life of trees or something anyway there was this beautiful description of when a leaf falls into a river it then releases a chemical that when that chemical gets out to the sea it stimulates the production of plankton and so that whole life kind of cycle thing of when we interfere here, mm-hmm. when we cut trees, you know, down from mm-hmm. the banks of rivers so there are no leaves falling into the trees, we have no understanding of that it's going to, you know, limit the the, pr- yeah. the production of plankton. Just like when we put on a, sh- a shoe on a kid's foot, we have no uh-huh. idea that it's going to interfere with their vestibular system, so potentially their, hear- their hearing or their learning or whatever and it'd be um you know we didn't really need to understand those systems until we removed ourselves from nature did we (laughs) now we find ourselves having to learn these things so we can understand them from a science kind of perspective when really we we knew all the things we needed to know um before didn't we (laughs) just a, a couple other things that i thought would be interesting this is from the pediatric journal that more screen time, less empathy, a lot less empathy. And um, so that's really scary. But the other thing that uh, Nicholas Carr talks about, and I think really makes a lot of sense with what you were just saying. So children are constantly getting challenges, Mm -hmm. which allow them to grow, right? But what we've discovered in order to really understand something it has to be embodied yeah so you have to take the challenge and you have to do something physically mm-hmm. with it in the body with the senses the motor areas and 
you know, if you're going to learn to play the piano, you've got to do something yes. physically mm-hmm. to learn to do it, you know. And eventually, through that process of sensory motor activation and uh, going through that whole thing, you you gain mastery, right, of anything. It may be uh, addition, you know, two plus two equals four, anything, but mm-hmm. you have to do it physically. Yeah. And with the senses, what happens with the uh, screen? Well, the screen time, you know, any of it, but mm-hmm. the computers and stuff. But especially Google, what? You get a challenge. You go to Google. It gives you an answer. There's no mastery. There's no You're memory. missing the point. And people do not remember what they see on their iPads or on their cell phones or, you know, on any of that. They don't remember it because they haven't embodied it. So, again, we're dumbing down. It's all about dumbing down. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that complex but safe environment is essential for learning. And a screen is not complex enough, obviously. No. That's fascinating. And there needs to be downtime. Just what you were saying, there needs to be time in nature, but there needs to be downtime. Mm. Daydreaming. Daydreaming. Yeah. Where you're just in that moment and you're producing GABA, gamma aminobutyric acid, where, you know, you're in the moment. You're really present. Yeah. And right now, people aren't present. No, they're not present. Um, yeah. One of the biggest questions I get asked when I'm um, presenting to groups of people is, how do I switch off my mind when I'm trying to go to sleep? And my answer is exactly what you've just said. Have some downtime during the day so that your brain has some time to do some processing of the stuff then so that you don't just get to the end of the day and you've been putting more, trying to put more information in. Now I'm really beginning to understand in a really unsuccessful way if you're staring at a screen all day. And then yeah. when you finally shut off, you go to sleep and then your brain goes, yay, I can do some processing, you know? And then so all of a sudden you have this whir of thoughts in your head and then you can't get to sleep. So just that not having your phone and it blows my mind how many people are scared to like, just leave your phone at home. And, you know, I've I've been doing this for a long time, but I still notice myself being like, oh, my phone's with me. Didn't Wasn't I supposed to leave that at home? You know, it just kind of gets <laughs> um, uh-huh. transported with you a lot. So, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. That's absolutely incredible. Um, just jumping back to that, the kind of developmental movement patterns and how we're interfering with that. Um, my Tom Myers talked, he talks, he's very interested in um, kinesthetic intelligence, of course, and how that feeds into emotional intelligence, which you've just so beautifully illuminated by saying that, you know, more screen time, which, which basically means less movement time, right? Means mm-hmm. less empathy, mm-hmm. which yeah. is just that link. And he was saying, if you, if you don't have good kinesthetic awareness, you don't have good you know, emotional intelligence and then how emotional intelligence is really feeding into your intellectual intelligence as well because, you know, they're ultimately all the same thing, aren't they? You're either intelligent in the, in the, in the bodily sense of embodying your body or you're not and we're probably moving more and more away from that. And, and so in that email you sent recently, you said 14 years of age was when 
the screen should kind of be could be potentially introduced. And yeah, then, that's what. And then seven it makes sense with Waldorf, the Waldorf idea of up until at least that age, you're developing the universal brain, the global brain. Mm. And seventy uh, percent of two-year-olds in Germany are, are watching four hours of, right, ouch, <coughs> computers and and yeah. screens, cell phones and cell phones. You know they're giving them because um, they have games on them and mm. they're babysitting. Too yeah. bad. The, there's an interesting study that was done with people that had strokes, mm -hmm. and what they found is when you have a stroke on one side of the the brain, you have paralysis on the other side of the face. Mm -hmm. And their biggest complaint was they could not understand the emotions of others right. and feel some of those emotions. So they decided to do a study with people that have had Botox injections. Right, because that limits <laughs> the paralysis of the face. Mm -hmm. And they could not empathize. They could not understand the emotions of others, and they could not feel them themselves. When we look at each other, we are getting massive information from the facial muscles that we are actually mirroring. So those mirror neurons, we're mirroring the facial expressions and the body language of other people in order to understand them. Mm. And what's happening right now is that these young people cannot read body language or facial expressions. You know, our face is so complex with what's coming out yeah. just in a communication that that's one of the things that autistic children have a hard time looking at mm -hmm. because there's so much information and they're extremely sensitive, very yeah. sensitive in their world. And anyway, so that's, so I thought that was that's, so interesting. That's fascinating. And, I love that stuff. What it makes me think about is, like, we just think when we're communicating, we're communicating via words. You know, a lot of people don't don't know that that's the smallest part of it, like 7% or something. But when we're communicating, there's also, like, in that, uh, in your book, the, the squid, the, what is it, the superconductive quantum something quantum interface, interface uh -huh. device, which... I just love the word, the word squid. I was like, a squid device? What does that do? But it's it's measuring this electromagnetic field spilling out of our heart, and yeah. and whether we've got a you know a coherent heart rate vari variability or you know the, if the pattern's yeah. coherent or inco incoherent. Mm -hmm. And I know when I talk about that to many of my friends, they have no idea what I'm talking about, and I just kind of under you know try to explain what I understand is which is not very much, is that there's just this, there's so many nerve endings and whatnot in our heart and that there's more nerve endings, you know, just like the stomach from the enteric nervous system up to the brain, there's more there's more nervous pathways going from the brain, I mean from the stomach brain to the, to the head brain and then there's more mm. going from the heart brain to the head brain. So, I mean, in the future we'll, we'll really understand, well, I, I think we're beginning to understand it it blows my mind that there's this, um, in Yuval Noah Harari's book, that book on 21 lessons for the 21st century, talks about like the potential of humans becoming kind of cyborgs and partly, you know, machine, <coughs> partly human. And I'm like, how can that happen? We, you need the gut, you need the heart, you need everything to be a human. And 
I'm just like, if you if you think that in the future you're going to download your brain onto some robot, I think it's just so mistaken, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I just don't see how you can be a human without a whole body, which is, of course, why they'll be called a cyborg. But yeah. that whole idea is um, just really, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you've obviously been doing a lot of, um, re- you know, just reading as we all do, people who are interested in things like this. But is this the kind of, the the screen is the dominant kind of, um, you know, it's really taking up so much of people's time that it's kind of having the biggest influence on on our lives, you know. So when we can try and get rid of, you know, screen time, if we're in a position to, you know, be in control of the way we spend our days but if we have a job where we're required to go to an office and sit down and sit sit down in front of a screen all day so one we're taking out our movement we're then putting our bodies in a state of stress from looking at the screen that is inherently Mm -hmm. stressful um it's yeah i'm wondering like if i have clients like that I know I can give them all the great advice about, you know, Joan Vernicosis, you know, G habits, just like get up and sit back down. And Michelle Seeger's got her opportunities to move and, you know, jump up Uh and do some brain gym and notice when you're stressed and do do these things. But Uh it sounds like we need to invent a screen that is like more like a movie screen so that we can not be so stressed out in front of a screen or do we just throw the computers in the river and... (laughs) You know, people are doing interesting things right now. Mm. Uh, in New York City, there's a big movement of parents turning off the Internet at 5 on Friday and not on an, until 8 on Monday. And their job is to play with their children. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in India, and there a whole article in their paper just the day I was there talking about getting out in nature with your children, leaving the all of the, the technology at home. I I think we're at a breaking point right now because there's so much information. There's been so much research on how this technology is affecting us that we're starting to really question mm-hmm. it. I mean, the fact that China has said no, you know, no, uh, no cell phones in the school. school yeah. is huge. Mm-hmm. That's giant. Now, if we can get rid of the computers, uh, you know, we've written all these grants to do movement stuff with the kids, and then what happens is they take the grants instead and give these six-year-olds iPads. Oh, God, uh, right. Instead of, you know, looking at what we need to be doing. But I think there is that information out there of how important movement is. I see it all the time, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful. Now, you know, it's for all, everybody, adults, but also children. And obesity Mm -hmm. worldwide is huge. The conference at Slovenia, three of the speakers were all talking about obesity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and... And that, of course, is linked to a lack of of movement, but also a lack of sleep and a lack of, you know... Yeah, and And stress. Yeah, and stress. Yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. All of it. You know, and so it, it's it's all coming together. Mm. Who knows? You know, 
Um, I think we just need to get the word out as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Uh, that you know, yeah. have parents be aware have have parents be aware that they are modeling you know what's going on mm-hmm. and uh, it was interesting to me I gave a talk at the uh, well it was in San Francisco to all of the Walder schools mm-hmm. I did a two day physiology class there and um it was interesting. It was just right after the BBC had gone in and done this whole thing on these Waldorf schools because here are these parents in Silicon Valley spending their time each day, just what you were saying, sitting, working on screens. And they actually had screens that would say, it's time for you to get up and walk for five minutes. Cool. It's time for you to get up and do a movement thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here were all these parents sending their children to Waldorf schools and they had to sign a contract that said no computers, no cell phones, no uh, iPads, nothing like that in the home mm-hmm. until the child is at least 11 years of age. Mm-hmm. And they had to sign a contract of that and here they were sending their children to Waldorf school and yet yeah. so they how dangerous it was. They know. It's like I've heard that Steve Jobs and Bill Gates didn't let their children anywhere nope. near the devices and because they knew what the risks yeah. were for their children. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that's very interesting. And all these parents who are developing the software that, you know, won't let their children use it, which is, yeah, that's a, that's a um, that's lesson Steve in Jobs. itself. Steve didn't come to it until he was older. Mm. He, his dad was a mechanic, and he'd been doing all sorts of things with, you know, engines and mechanicking and that sort of thing. And when he came to the computer idea, he had a whole set of talents, of, of creativity to work with it. And right now, these computers are so simple. Even I can do them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> two-year-olds can use them. And there's no learning curve, right? Per se, there's nothing to learn in, yeah. or embody. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we need to get our kids and ourselves outside, yeah. out of shoes, into into <laughs> nature, yeah. spending more time learning, spending more time learning how to connect to each other, um, just being away from technology as much as we possibly can within the limits of our um, jobs and trying to create new ways to do our jobs when we can really spend mm-hmm. more time with the paper and pen rather than, you know, a computer screen. Awesome. Yeah. That's um, absolutely fantastic. Have you got anything else you'd like like to talk about? Is there any other fantastic research you've been reading recently? Is there... Anything oh, else in that wonderful brain of yours you'd like to share? Uh, because m- my intention is basically just to share more and more information with my clients about how can I I can help them to transition themselves out of pain and trans- mm. transition themselves into a life full of more beautiful movement, basically. And so any any advice you'd have for them that would be muchly appreciated, although you've already given some very sound advice well that whole pain when I was in major pain with my back the the only thing that would really help was walking mm. you know and I 
seen that over and over and over again, even with people with painful knees and necks and back. If they start to walk Mm -hmm. and just walk in nature is better than, Mm -hmm. you know, but walking. Um, So that's important. I think one of the most important things we need to do on the planet today is to be present, to be really present Mm -hmm. with each other. I love the brain gem work because I see it as such powerful work. It's it's every time somebody comes to me for a balance, it's my issue. And we are empowering people to realize their mastery and trust themselves to know. And uh, I think that's extremely important. When we're present, we can be present with each other. We know now psychologists say anybody, everybody needs just 15 minutes a day of someone being absolutely present with them, stopping, looking at them, not thinking what they're going to say, you know, but being so present with that person for them to feel comfortable to go explore their world. Mm. And do we do it? Do we do it with our spouses? Mm. Do we take the together time that allows us? to be quiet with each other and really listen mm-hmm. and be quiet with each other. I mean, we're dealing with so many weird stu- things here in the United States. Our president started, oh, yeah, you know, crazy man. But I totally think... Totally crazy it, man. He is. And mm. I, I think what it's doing is giving us a sense of we have got to be responsible and be present enough to think clearly about the situation and then do something, Mm. you know, take action. And um, again, what scares me about this technology as it is right now is dumbing down. So we don't have that brilliance that we need right now to come to the the solutions that Mm -hmm. we're needing on the planet what to do about global warming, Mm. what to do about nuclear proliferation, what to do about fracking and our water situation. The one thing after another, you know, we have to have people that can think with their whole beings, their whole body. Mm -hmm. Our brains, you know, the neocortex of the brain is the last to get it. And it only takes in what we believe. We have these spam filters that, take out anything that we don't believe. So we only are getting a tiny, tiny bit of what our real, what our world is mm. and all according to our reality. And how do we open that up now? How do we come back like children who are wide open to the world to learn, you know, and not have all the answers mm. and really listen? And I think... The greatest thing we can do on the planet today is just be present. Wow, that's I, you know, I just feel like it's really important. Mm, that's beautiful. It just reminds me of Ellen Langer and her great work. Have you heard of her? The she was the first ever female tenured psychologist at Harvard University. She was she's still there. She did the counterclockwise study, which was the one where she took a bunch of men. Back in time, she recreated, I think it was 19, I can't remember the date, but she took them back 10, 10 or 15 years and they all got younger. And uh-huh. she, she's like, 
no he's no, with alzheimer's yeah yeah she um she, one of my favorite sayings is you know you have it's from hers you have no idea of your potential and your 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 potential is just unknowable because when you get when you learn something else then that gives you the ability to learn something else and then when you have some new experience that gives you the possibility to have a different bigger kind of experience yeah. and just sitting in front of computers all day isn't giving us those experiences that we need so right I'm off to throw my cell phone in the river <laughs> and to turn <laughs> off my wi-fi for the rest of the weekend and I know this is like okay so here we are mm. and this you know at least I can talk to you in this New Zealand you can mm. talk to me Anna, this is wonderful use of our technology yeah. to really connect. Mm. I can see your beautiful face and and I can hear your passion and that's exciting. Yeah. Good for you what you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you so much, Carla. Um, if you've got anything else you'd like to say, say it now, but I'd just like to send my heartfelt gratitude for you to taking your time today. It was absolutely <laughs> lovely to talk to you. And I shall be reading the rest of your books and probably getting in touch in the not too distant future to talk to you again about something else. So thank you so much nice for your to time. This um, 21 reasons for the 21st century. 21, 21 lessons for the 21st century is Yuval Noah Harari's latest book. And he wrote Sapiens as well, which is a brief history of humankind. And then he wrote uh -huh. Homo Deus, which is a Brief history of tomorrow. So oh. it's a fast, he's a fascinating man and he gets everything we've just um, talked about. He meditates for two hours a day. He doesn't have a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm always leaving my cell phone here. Yeah. And there. I don't use it for anything really but pictures. Yeah. <laughs> and now great. and then to connect with somebody. But yeah. yeah. And when you were talking about walking before, there's some tribe in South America that has a saying that you have two doctors, your right leg and your left leg. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. That's uh, the thing that has my back. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Carla. Yeah, thank you. Hazel, may we meet again? This we, is I great. Hope, I hope we will, Carla. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this Mind and Movement conversation. To read my move note on Carla's book, Smart Moves, head to mindandmovement.co.nz. Thanks.